Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Well, last week I, uh, I launched a, a new series uh, called Game Changers, where we began, uh, which is going to be uh, for, for quite a while now, uh, a series talking about uh, building to breakthrough, breakthrough in, in our lives, breakthrough corporately as a church, because I, I believe uh, that God is calling us onto new things, to, to begin to, to take steps and move forward. And I'm excited that as part of this whole thing, we've got Kingdom Builders, which really is about looking beyond ourselves. And if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to, uh, to listen to that message on the website. Um, everything that will happen from here will make a lot more sense if you kind of understand the, the, the foundation of, of where we're coming from. And I want to begin this morning by doing a bit of a, a Bible overview, uh, uh, just uh, uh, for a, a brief uh, few hundred years in, in Bible history, just to set the scene for today's story. The, obviously, uh, things began, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, things moved through, and we're just going to skip a few generations here and there. And, and we get to this man by the name of Abraham. Abraham uh, was initially called Abram, and uh, God made a, gave him a promise, a covenant that he was going to make him the father of a great nation. You can read all about that in Genesis around chapter 12. And, and he promised Abraham that he would bless, be uh, blessed to be a blessing. And Abraham um, and his wife were getting on in years. They couldn't have kids. And uh, they, they tried to force the hand of God a little bit and make things work their way. It didn't work out so well for them. But eventually, uh, the, the promised uh, son was born. And, and so Abraham and, and Sarah had two kids, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac um, was a, a great man. And he had uh, two, two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, so we're following the, you're with me, following the family line. We've gone Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob's name eventually was changed to Israel, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you get that? So they started as sons, but they became family groups in their own right. One of those sons was a, a, a young lad uh, by the name of Joseph. Joseph had a dream that uh, God was going to do something pretty spectacular. And in his uh, incredible wisdom and foresight, he told his brothers uh, about this great dream of them bowing down before him. And the brothers, because they loved Joseph so much and they believed in his future and they were quite secure in themselves, dug a pit, buried him in it, and then uh, sold him uh, into slavery. It's, it's a great family story of, of love triumphing for all. And, um, and Joseph ends up sold to some Egyptian, uh, to, the, to, to, and to uh, slavery in Egypt, and, and he ends up in uh, prison. And uh, Joseph's in, in prison, and he continues to have dreams, and, uh, and, and those around him are having dreams. And Joseph, through the power of God, begins to interpret the dreams of those people in prison. And in and, 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 and that culture, uh, interpreting dreams was, was a pretty uh, significant thing. 
And eventually, uh, Joseph ends up in, in the, the household of a, uh, the, a man by the name of Potiphar, and, and things happen, and he ends up back in prison and stuff, and, and then he, he goes through and ends up uh, second kind of in charge of, of all of Egypt. He looked after the preparations for a um, famine that was coming. And during that time of famine, all the nations around Egypt were really struggling because they hadn't prepared because God had given Joseph this prophetic insight. And so they they would come to get food from grain from Egypt. And and Joseph's there one day and his brothers rock up. They don't recognise him. They, They haven't thought about him in a really, really long time. And here is Joseph, and here are his brothers asking for food. And it's a, it's this crazy little story. And, and eventually uh, the, the brothers do bow down before Joseph, like the, the dream uh, said. And, and the, the family's kind of restored. And they all end up relocating to Egypt, all the brothers and, and the families. And, and over the, the generations, those family groups uh, multiply. They multiply quite a bit. I don't know what it was in the water, but they breeded really well, bred well, uh, and multiplied. And, and as uh, progressive pharaohs moved on, the, the story of Joseph was kind of forgotten. And, and, and the pharaoh realised one day there's this in, entire nation of people living within Egypt, and they're growing really fast, and they made them slaves. And so for 400 years, these people are enslaved in Egypt. And then comes another of these Jewish people who would rise to a place of prominence in Egypt, a man by the name of Moses. Moses is a baby where there was an incredible genocide happening, but his uh, parent, his, his mother saved him by putting him in a basket, putting him into the River Nile, and he ends up being raised in Pharaoh's household, raised as a prince of Egypt. God uh, eventually um, releases the, the people of Israel from, from slavery. So they, they come out, there's these plagues. Lots of you will know this story. It, it, it makes great viewing. Uh, all these plagues happen and the, the, they come out of Egypt and they, they come up to uh, the, the, the sea and, and uh, they, they've got army at the back and the ocean in front of them and God parts the river, the, the ocean and through they go and, and it closes up and swallows the, the Egyptian army up and it, it's just a, it's a great story and they begin to walk through the desert um, and the journey that God has for them because God has promised them uh, that there's, he's going to give them a land. There's going to be a place for them to be that they can call home. And so as they, they wandered through the desert, um, the miracles just kind of keep happening. There's this cloud, and, and they, they would follow the cloud through the desert. And, and then when the cloud stopped, they would pitch their tent, and, and God had given them the Ten Commandments, and it was in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments were there, and, and they'd be inside the tent, and Moses would be able to go in and communicate with, with God. And, and, and so at night, there's this pillar of fire. It's just this crazy story, and it, it just kind of... They're just mind-blowing science fiction kind of stuff. Overnight, this bread, well, mana, would kind of come from heaven and the ravens would bring meat. Like, it's a, it's a crazy story of, of what God was doing for this people. And then we get to Numbers chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're in Numbers chapter 13. Right at the early part of, of the Old Testament is the book of Numbers. I'm going to... Begin reading in a moment from verse 17 of Numbers, the 13th chapter. So they're on the edge of the 
promised land. And God gives Moses some instructions. He says, I want you to send some spies into the land to, to have a, a look and, and, and report back. And so this is what it says in verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, which was the land, he told them, go through the Negev and then into the mountain region. See what the land is like and whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Do the city, their cities have walls around them or not? Is the soil rich or poor? Does the land have trees or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit from the land. It was the season when grapes were beginning to ripen. Moses had been eating meat from the ravens and bread from heaven and he wanted fruit. So, yeah. Now this is a, a, a common tactic when you're, you're planning an, an offensive battle. You don't go to war against an enemy if you don't know their strengths and weaknesses. And Moses wanted an accounting of what laid ahead. He wanted to be able to plan appropriately. Let's not forget that Moses had grown up in the household of, of Egypt, Pharaoh's household, the most dominant, powerful nation on the globe. And Moses would have been trained and educated in the Egyptian way. He would have understood economics and he would have understood the, the, the commerce around uh, how to, to, to feed a nation and, and how to run things and build things. He probably would have been skilled in, in warfare. And it's most likely that, that Moses, with God's help, may have been able to plan an appropriate strategy to take the promised land. There's a man by the name of Sun Tzu and he wrote a famous book, The Art of War. He says this, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Moses wants to know what the land's like. He wants to know the numbers and the strengths of the locals. Is it good? Are the cities fortified? Is the land productive? He even wanted to taste some of the fruit. And so they went. He chose a leader from each of the 12 tribes and into the land they went for 40 days. And this is what they reported to Moses. We're in verse 27. We went to the land where you sent us. It really is a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's some of its fruit. But the people who live there are strong and the cities have walls and are very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, Anak uh, the, is uh, related to uh, Goliath. That's the family line. They're, they're really big people. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the mountain region. And the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan River. The report had come back. And you know what? They'd nailed it. They'd done an incredible job of reporting back. What, exactly what Moses had asked them to do. They knew where the cities were. They knew who the different people groups were. They knew what the cities looked like, the numbers, the size. They knew the strengths and, and weaknesses of what they'd face. They did an incredible job of reporting. And how Moses must have wished they'd stopped there. They'd reported back and stopped. Because you know the question that Moses never asked? I didn't realise, I started rewriting my message at nine o'clock last night because this thing struck me. Moses never asked them, can we do it? He never said, can we, can we win the battle? He never asked them that question because they could never have won. 
They'd been slaves for 400 years. They weren't skilled warriors. They weren't trained in the art of warfare. They didn't know how to, to win battles. They didn't have experience. They probably didn't even have weapons at all. They had no hope in the natural. And Moses never asked them that question because it absolutely did not matter whether they could do it or not because God could. And do you know how I know that? Eventually, when they got around to the battle, there's a famous story about a city called Jericho. Jericho had walls. It was a fortified city. Moses had asked them, oh, do the cities have walls? Jericho had really large walls. And there's kind of a bit of a process around defeating a walled city because they're built to withstand a long siege. So it happens in a siege, and lots of you will have seen battle scenes and all of that. They, they surround the city, and the, the, the goal of a siege is to either starve them out, so you, you have to be prepared to wait for a really, really long time, or you've got to work out some way of penetrating the walls, over, under, through. So the, the, the people of Israel come to Jericho, and God gives them a plan. For six days, walk around the city in silence. Just walk around the walls once each day. So people of Israel form a long line and around the walls they go. They did that for six days. In the Bible, numbers are pretty significant things. We're speaking from the book of numbers, but I'm talking about literal numbers like one, two, three, four. They're significant things. And sometimes in the Bible, numbers have a broader meaning than simply a numerical count. In the Bible, the number six, and it's throughout the Bible, represents the number of man. It represents man's efforts. It represents what, what we can try and do. But more than that, it represents man's efforts without God. So for six days, they walked around the walls of Jericho. And on the seventh day, God tells them to walk around seven times. Seven is the number of God, It represents God's perfection, his completeness, his, his divine uh, kind of input into the whole thing. It, it, on the seventh day, after the seventh time, they let out a mighty roar and the walls came down. God never asked, sorry, Moses never asked them the question, can we do it? Because they couldn't. But God can See, the key to great breakthrough is understanding that it's not in our strength. It's in the strength of God. And Caleb, verse 30, told the people to be quiet. Listen to Moses. Caleb said, let's go now and take possession of the land. We should be more than able to conquer it. What great faith that is. Come on, let's go. He's just come back. He's seen everything. He goes, let's just go. Let's go now. We can do this. Get a good night's sleep. Tomorrow we'll go and do, take care of the land but the men who had gone with them, 10 of the spies, they said this, verse 31, we can't attack those people. They're too strong for us. So they began to spread lies among the Israelites about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored is one that devours those who live there. All the people we saw there were very tall. We saw Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak and Nephilim, so giants. And we felt as small as grasshoppers. And that's how we must have looked to them. As a result of the lies that they told to the people of Israel, the, the, the people spent the whole night complaining. The end result of a night of complaining is that not one person over the age of 20, except Joshua and Caleb, 
would ever see the promised land. They'd gone in and spied the land out for 40 days. And now as a result of the disobedience of not trusting God, they would wander the desert one year for every day. 40 years of walking the desert. That's how long it took for everyone over the age of 20 except Joshua and Caleb to die out. That's, that's pretty harsh for a night of complaining. And it gets worse. The 10 spies who gave a negative report, they just happened to contract the plague in front of everybody and die on the spot. In other words, God struck them dead because of the lies and their disobedience. But it gets worse. The next morning, the people realise they've screwed up. We, we have stuffed up bad, but it's okay. We can make it right. Let's go now and, and, and cross the river and let's go and win the battle. So they tell Moses what they're going to do. And Moses says, just don't do it. Don't disobey God any more than you already have. People didn't listen to him. They get up, they cross, they go into the promised land and they get absolutely decimated. See, the mistake they'd made is they'd left the Ark of the Covenant, the, the presence representing the Word of God and the presence of God behind, and they'd crossed on their own. They'd gone like the number six. We can do this in our strength. We can do this our way. It, it was man's effort without God, and it came to nothing. Later on, when God wanted them to do it, and it all worked out after 40 years, and they get to Jericho, and they've got God with them, an incredible battle happened. What a monumental screw-up compounded by a monumental screw-up. God's plan was always to deliver the people to the land to the people. He'd brought them out of Egypt through all the plagues and all the miracles and, and all the incredible things that they'd seen and experienced. He'd brought them to this place and all they had to do was embrace God's plan for them. Instead, they began to dream about going back to Egypt, to the good old days. Their moment had come. The game had changed. These slaves who had become a nation were on the brink of inheriting all that God had for them. An incredible, ridiculous blessing beyond relief. belief. Just stop and think about it for a moment. God was going to dispossess all these nations of their land and give them to his people. All of that was going on. And somehow they still managed to screw it up. Here are some observations. My first observation is perspective. Perspective is the battle of the mind. The difference between the 10 spies and Joshua and Caleb who brought the positive report was a small one, but a profound one. That all seen the same thing. They'd seen the same cities, the same people, the, the same armies that they were going to face, the same resources that were there. They experienced the same things, yet they had a wildly different perspective. Joshua and Caleb were full of faith, while the 10 spies were full of fear. Joshua and Caleb saw an opportunity, whereas the 10 spies saw an opposition. It was the battle of their minds and the 10 spies lost that battle. Moses never asked them to predict the outcome because God had settled the outcome. When God has a plan for us as individuals or for this church, he's not asking you, can you do it? He's not saying to you, do you have the resources? Do you have the skills? Do you have the plan, the strategy? He's not saying, if, if, if you got everything right, could you do this? 
He's not asking us as a church, do we have everything sorted and together? Are we ready to go? Have we got all the money and the people and everything sorted out the way we need it to to step into what God has for us? He never asks us that question because it's not on us. It's on Him. It's His plan. It's His strategy. We would never think to walk around the walls of a city seven times. Like, what that, is that going to do except make you tired before the battle? Can you imagine uh, the, the archers and the other people on the, 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 the walls of Jericho laughing at them? For six days they've walked around the walls. And now they're walking around seven times. They would have been mocking them. We wouldn't do that. We'd never come up with that strategy. Why? Because it was never, ever going to work. It can't work. It's an impossibility. But that's the realm that God exists in. It's the miraculous. And that's why the number seven represents the divine, the power of God, the miraculous. And if we try and push for breakthrough on our own, we will never accomplish it. But when we stop and we say, God, what's your strategy? What's your plan? How, how can we overcome this, this obstacle, this hurdle that I'm facing in my life? How can I, I break through in this area of finance? How can I see this relationship restored? How can I experience this healing? On your own, you can't. But I'm so thankful we have a God that can. And the choice is ours. Are we the two spies or are we the ten spies? Because if we want to see breakthrough in our lives, we need to challenge our perspective. Things can become problems or possibilities. We can see the impossible or the potential. And sometimes the only thing holding us back is our perspective. Here's how perspective works. There's another story in in the Old Testament, and it's a story that you'll all know. So I'm not going to tell the whole thing. But David, this little boy facing a giant Goliath. See, the entire army is confronted by the evil Philistines. The the Philistines in the Bible are like the ultimate bad guy. They're like the English cricket team come ashes time, right? We hate them. Assuming there is going to be a game. Anyway, and the whole Israelite army is standing there and they're looking at this other army and here's this big, ugly guy, like 12 foot tall, muscles on his muscles, bad breath, messed up teeth, the whole lot. And they see him and they, uh, they're, they're locked down in fear. We can't possibly overcome this guy. And in comes this 12 year old boy little upstart, thinks you can do everything. I've got a 12-year-old boy, they do. (laughs) Of course I can do that. There's no limit. He hasn't learnt failure yet. He hasn't learnt disappointment yet. He hasn't learnt that there's a limit yet. And he comes in, but his perspective was not the giant, his perspective was his God. His perspective was God who has delivered me from the lions, the tigers, the bears, the, 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 the killer goats, the whole lot. God who set me free from those evil seagulls that come in to take my chips when I'm trying to eat my lunch. God who's delivered me in the past is able to deliver me here and now because it's not in my strength that I overcome, it's in the strength of God. And instead of focusing on his giant, David's perspective was on his God. Perspective changes everything. Joshua and Caleb, their perspective wasn't, can we do it? Their perspective was, God can do it, let's go with him. Perspective changes everything. I wonder when you're staring down the face of your challenges, what your perspective is. Because perspective will contribute to you seeing breakthrough or not seeing breakthrough. 
perspective is what pushes a business owner to expand the company. It's what causes a couple to build strength into their marriage. It's what helps a sportsman get to the next level. It's what helps to succeed at work. But perspective is what stops people trying new things or taking a risk. It's what causes a couple to break up when they can't see other, other options. Perspective is a game changer for you. But here's the problem with perspective. There's a battle being waged in our mind. In the last series, I talked about the battle in our heart, the enemies of our heart that try to sabotage the the relationships between us and and other people that that seek to destroy us and pull us away from God. The battles that must be won, that we must overcome. If you weren't here, those messages could change your life. They're on our website. Please go and listen to them. Yet there's another battle, probably an even greater battle that you'll fight. The battle for your mind. And it's vicious. It's intense. It's unrelenting. So your mind is your greatest asset. And this series is about building to breakthrough for us collectively and individually. It's about not letting our past define our future, but looking to our future and working out how do we get from here to there. It's about seeking God and saying, God, what is your plan? It's about getting away from the number six and into the number seven. Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 to 5 I'm reading from the NIV says for the though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world we're not supposed to do it like everybody else. We're not supposed to fight our batch, the battles with our, our, our natural weapons. Things like being critical or argumentative or self-serving or prideful or violent or abusive. The, the list is a lot longer than we've got time for and, and that's how the world works things out. Think about all the nasty conflicts that you've seen. Think about a, a husband and wife that are at war with each other or a family that's being torn apart. Think of someone at work who's trying to get ahead at, at everyone else's expense. That's how the world wages war. But we're not supposed to overcome our obstacles and our challenges like that. So we get some clues And to how we see breakthrough as the verse continues, it says they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's talking about the weapons that we're supposed to fight with. Divine power, it's the God peace. It's the peace the world doesn't have access to. It's it's the spiritual power of God. It's things like the fruit of the Spirit. It's things like faith and hope and love. It's the the stuff that, that we step into the God realm with. It makes no sense. It can be a game changer in our lives. A stronghold is a uh, a lie that Satan can establish in our thinking. It's what a stronghold means when it talks about that in the Bible. It's something that that we count as true, even though it's false. Things like, I'm not good enough. Something like, I couldn't do that. Or even more destructive, perhaps something like, God couldn't love someone like me. It could be a worldview. It could be an ideology. It could be downplaying the power of sin. It's just a little thing, really. It's not hurting anybody. Jesus says we have an evil, deceptive, lying enemy 
John 8, 44 says, There is no truth in him when he lies. He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When Satan first appeared in the Garden of Eden, his first tactic was lying to Eve and distorting the word of God, and he does exactly the same thing now. He was deceptive from the start, and he tries the same thing with us. One of Satan's tactics is mental warfare, causing a battle to rage in our mind that keeps us feeling accused. We're intimidated, weak. It's no mistake that Revelation, the 12th chapter and verse 10 says he's the accuser of the brethren. One of his jobs is to hold you down, to cause your mind to confine you, to shrink you down, to, to, to push you to small-mindedness. He uses false guilt and tormenting thoughts to remind us of our past failures. Or he speaks lies against us, trying to cripple our Christian walk. He'll invade our thought life, trying to cause wrong thinking, bad attitude and emotional scars. The hard part is, the lies of Satan hide so well we don't even know we're deceived. And John 8 verse 32 says, You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. See, God desires that we walk in victory. The truth is not enough. Knowing the truth is what the verse says will set us free. When we know the truth, when it's gone from, from hearing it to in our heart and our mind, we, we know that the Word of God is true. We know that His promises are true. When we sit in that place of knowing the truth, it can set us free. See, God wants us delivered from unhealthy emotions. He wants us victorious over wrong thinking. He wants to bring light to the lies that invade our mind. He wants us to claim victory. And the second observation, final observation I had was this. With the spies, popularity. It's the battle of opinion. Just because the majority of people believe something doesn't make it right. Ten spies caused the whole nation to doubt. Ten spies actively worked against the plan of God. They didn't set out to destroy the nation and remove God's blessing from that generation, but it's exactly what happened. Listen carefully. We're entitled to our opinion, but recognise that it's your opinion and you may be wrong. Just because someone else agrees with you doesn't make you both right. The popular opinion can often be the wrong one. And that's the problem with opinion. When we find someone else to agree with us, we tend to treat it as fact. Oh, I think that, and I've found this other person that thinks the same thing, so we must be right, because it's not just me now, I've got someone else. And we get really good at finding people we know will agree with our opinions. And here's a thought. One of the quickest ways to put the brakes on what God's doing, to destroy faith, to limit breakthrough, is to play the popularity battle of opinion. If I tried to live by everyone's opinion of how church should be, we wouldn't have much of a church left after a very short period of time. It's important that, that I and the elders and the leaders, we listen and we understand perspectives, especially if it's widespread. But today's story shows us a caution in that because sometimes God's plan is to do something that most of the people wouldn't want to do to step into a realm of faith, a realm where it doesn't make sense, where we don't have the answers, where we feel like we've got to walk around the walls seven times, but who wants to do that? Against the battle of popular opinion, sometimes we need to listen to the two spies, 
and not the king's spies. Sometimes we need to listen to God's voice, not the loud voice. In fact, I'd say all the time. And there's the tension. If we're going to step into something like that, if we're going to take steps of faith, if we're going to believe and trust God for what the future looks like for breakthrough, we're going to want to make sure we're hearing the voice of God. We're going to want to make sure that we know that this is what God's calling us to, that we've done due diligence with prayer and fasting and seeking God and and all of that. Because if we're going to step against popular opinion, if we're going to make an effort for breakthrough, we want to know God's with us. And it's the same in your life. I'm not just, I'm not setting you up for something, by the way. If we want to see breakthrough, if we want to step into that realm of overcoming, then we've got to know that God has spoken to us, that we're on the right path. So we have perspective and popularity, both issues of the mind. And then it goes on to say we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to God. Here's a couple of thoughts in closing on how to take captive every thought. I heard a great quote, and this is my first thought. Don't believe everything you think. We naturally feel that if we think something, it must be true because it's come from within us. But just because you think something doesn't make it true. Because so many different things come into our minds, suggestions, The world puts things into our mind that are false. We're bombarded with false ideas and images and ideals and and, and a a lot of rhetoric around how we should think and what it looks like. And, And of course, we've got Satan who's trying to make suggestions in our mind all the time. See, the problem actually goes much deeper than Satan. Every one of us has a mental illness. We're all mentally ill. And that mental illness is called sin. The Bible uses at least a dozen different phrases for the condition of our mind under sin. It says that our minds are confused, anxious, closed, evil, restless, rash, deluded. It says we have a troubled mind, a depraved mind, a sinful mind, a dull mind, a blinded mind, a corrupt mind. Oh my gosh, our minds are broken by sin. Which means that sometimes we can't even trust what we think ourselves. We tell ourselves that things aren't bad when they really are. We tell ourselves that things are better than they actually are. We tell ourselves that we're doing okay when we're not doing okay. We tell ourselves it's not a big deal when it actually is a big deal. The Bible tells us that we can't always trust ourselves to tell ourselves the truth. And that's why sometimes we need to question our own thoughts and stop believing everything we think. You see, here's the the problem with believing everything we think. Sometimes... We see only what we want to see. You know, the optic nerve runs from our eyes to our brain. It's a direct feed into our brain. But did you know that our brain sends more information to our eyes through our optic nerve than goes from our eyes into our brain? Our brain, as we're seeing things, is already telling us what we're seeing. It's already interpreting things. It's already putting a bias on things. That's why you can have four people in an accident scene that see exactly the same thing and have wildly different perceptions of what takes place because all of our our past, our experiences, all of of what we've seen in the past shapes what we see right here and right now. It it, it impacts what we see and that's why you can be sitting in this room today and, and, and you can see something that no one else is seeing because of our bias because of our perspective, because our brain is interpreting the signals that our eyes are giving it in a way that makes sense to our brain. And if we want to see breakthrough, 
we must acknowledge that not everything we think is true and not everything we see is actually what happened. Worship team, come and join me. Final thought on how to take every thought captive. We need to guard our mind from garbage. Second thing we learn in this battle comes from an old thought from, it's a cliche from the early days of computing. G-I-G-O. Garbage in, garbage out. And it's still true today. If you put bad data into a computer, you get bad results out. If you put garbage into your mind, you'll get garbage out. Proverbs 15, 14 said, A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. It's from the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says this, Everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. In other words, it says, not everything is necessarily wrong, but they're not necessary. The Bible tells us to fill our minds with the right thing. Final verse, Philippians 4, 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So the key for breakthrough is getting a right perspective, recognising our minds are a battlefield and taking charge of the things that we feed into our minds. Because what we put in is what will come out. And if we feed our minds with the right stuff, if we think on things that are true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if we think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, that's what's going to come out of us. What we feed into us will come out and we want to feed the things in that are going to produce a harvest of faith in our life, of expectation. We need to know what it is as a group of people that to shift our perspective and go, sometimes the thing I see in front of me is not right and I need to get out of living in the realm of the number six and step into the realm of number seven and say, God, We trust you. One of the hardest things to do, stop trusting yourself and start trusting God. God, we want to acknowledge that so often we try and do this life our way. We try and fight the battles our way. We try to see breakthrough our way. God, may we be a people that trust in you, that seek your strategy, that seek your plans. God, may we be the two spies May we determine to be Joshua and Caleb and even when it seems impossible, even when it seems like it makes no sense, God, we're going to trust in you. God, with wisdom and diligence and prayer, that God help us to step into your strategy and your plan. God, I pray that for us as a church and us as a leadership. God, may we step into your plans. God, may we hear your heart and do things your way. God, may we have the faith to do that even when it doesn't make sense. For us as individuals to experience breakthrough in our life and areas that have been holding us back, God, may we take the time to seek a strategy from You. May we feed ourselves with the right things, read the right books, listen to the right music, listen to the right messages. God, may we think on the right things that will build faith in our lives. God, may we be a people of faith, declaring that the game has changed. This is our day of breakthrough. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org